This is episode 320, How to Shift Obsessive Thinking with Megan. Welcome to Over It and On With It. I'm your host, Christine Hassler, and for over a decade, I've been a life coach, speaker, and author. Each week, you'll hear me work directly with a caller as I coach them through a goal they want to accomplish or an obstacle they may be facing. I'll provide a blend of practical and spiritual advice as well as tangible actions you can apply to your own life. Now, let's get on with the episode. Hi, everybody, and welcome to this episode. I think you're really going to get a lot of value from today if you ever deal with obsessive thinking or anxiety. Because remember, these things aren't who you are. They are patterns, and they are indicators, and they're usually serving a high purpose. They usually have a reason for why they're there. Trying to get rid of them, thinking something's wrong with you, does not change it. Does not change it. So, Even if you don't really deal with obsessive thinking, but sometimes you don't do well with uncertainty or you have anxiety come up, definitely listen to this and make sure to listen to the breakdown after the show. So quick announcement before we dive in, you've probably heard me talking about Be The Queen because we're about to launch our final class, our final live class for at least a year, maybe a little more. We decided we wanted to teach one more live during the holidays because I know in my single days, that was always a difficult time from Thanksgiving all the way through Valentine's Day. So we're starting November 30th with a bonus call on 11-11 for those of you who sign up early and we're ending March 1st and it's all live calls. We do it at different times. So different time zones are accommodated and all the calls are recorded if you can't make it live. This program is for women who want to call in their man, the love of their life. And this is the only program that we teach that is targeted to a specific group of people because it's based on my experience as a single woman wanting to call in a man. And we have had such incredible results from this program. Women have just, oh, they found their, they found their kings and those that are not with their king yet are enjoying dating and have a better relationship with themselves. And it's a beautiful community that comes together as well, all ages from all over the world. So make sure that you go to christinehasser.com slash be the queen to apply. Again, this is the last time Steph and I are teaching it live for at least a year, probably more. So if you've ever wanted to take this program with us live and get live coaching from us, now is the time. So as you are listening to this episode with Megan, consider, are there things in your life that you obsess about? You just can't stop thinking of them. Do you obsess about your body or what people are thinking about you? Or if you're dating about the people that you're dating and you just can't seem to get things out of your mind. Did you grow up with an anxious parent? Do you often doubt your self-worth? And finally, the things that you really judge about yourself, the patterns you don't like, Do you fear that you'll never be able to change them? So keep those questions in mind as you listen to my coaching call with Megan. Megan, welcome to the show. What's your question? Hi. So um, I'm feeling like lately, and I've also noticed this throughout my life, I'm constantly kind of finding something to obsess over and fixate on. So lately that's showing up as like body image issues and having a big fear of like gaining weight. But I think it's also shown up as kind of like obsessing over men and like romantic interests. So I think it just bothers me because 
it's keeping me from feeling that inner peace I want to feel. So I kind of just want to figure out what to do about it. Okay. I hear you. I can relate to that on so many levels and body image was definitely something I used to obsess about for years and years and years. I don't anymore. Thank God. (laughs) (laughs) But it, it definitely was something that haunted me for a long time. Before I ask you questions, I'm sure you've thought about this. What do you think could be underneath this? I feel like just, I've done a lot of personal development and just kind of, I'm into spirituality and things. So just looking at it, I kind of see like a low self-worth being behind it. But then I'm also confused by that because I feel like I have worked to get a better sense of self-worth. So yeah, I think I'm just at a crossroads there. So it doesn't completely resonate the low self-worth thing. Yeah. I mean, Mm -hmm. it does and it doesn't at the same time. How does it? I think just I've spent a lot of time being insecure in the past, but like I said, I I have tried to work on it. So I feel like it's getting better, Mm -hmm. but maybe not where it should be yet. Okay. Okay. And when you were growing up, tell me some things that felt out of control or really uncertain in your life. I've always had anxiety. So when I was about nine or 10, I started going to therapy for it because it got pretty bad. I was moving schools and I was starting to like get sick a lot and like throwing up and missing school. And so I remember being like really scared when I had to go into therapy because I thought there was like something wrong with me. But other than that, I feel like my childhood was pretty stable. I didn't have anything too stressful go on besides that. So you just were born with anxiety. Yeah, from what I can tell. Do you think that's really true? (laughs) Maybe not. (laughs) Mm -mm. Was anyone in your family anxious? Yes, my mom. Tell me about that. I think she's developed more of an awareness of the anxiety in recent years. I don't think she... I'm not so interested uh, in what she's like now. I want to know what she was like as a, when you were a little one. I think mostly kind of hard to predict in a way because sometimes she was very calm and caring. And then there was other times where I felt like my anxiety was probably causing her anxiety to flare up and it would kind of bounce off each other. And Mm -hmm. I wasn't sure what was going on. So that would stress me out. Mm -hmm. So can you see you learned anxiety? And we're not here to blame your mom. We're just here to really understand you right? It's not about blaming because she learned it somewhere too. No one's born with anxiety unless there's some kind of neurological or physical or biological issue, which it doesn't sound like you have. So you, you learned it. Yeah. Right. And so, and you also were probably very empathic like all kids are and who knows how much anxiety you picked up on in the womb. Right. So it was kind of imprinted. Mm -hmm. I, I feel, I always feel so bad for the parents, especially the moms listening. Cause they're just like, Oh my gosh, like, <laughs> how, how many ways have I screwed up my kid? So for all the moms listening, your, your kids are on their own journey as well. You're doing the best you can. Like, don't beat yourself up. Don't expect yourself to be perfect. Just need to say that for all the moms. Cause I heard them start to go, Oh my gosh, I've messed up my kid. <laughs> um, so again, this is not about blaming your mom but this is about you and I having a conversation about where this anxiety comes from. Because when you see that it's learned, like it's a learned behavior, then you start to be like, okay, well, this isn't who I am. Because if we over identify with quote unquote being anxious, 
then it's hard to untangle ourselves from that. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So you were feeling your mom's anxiety, which made you anxious. And then you were anxious about her being anxious about you being anxious. So it was like this constant loop and things never felt really grounded and consistent. And one of the best things the mind does to deal with anxiety in the body is to obsess because it's a distraction. It's a way to, because anxiety is this energy that is fast and it's like this buzzing energy this frenetic energy in our system, in our mind and in our nervous system. And it can be really overwhelming. And so we have to develop ways to do something with it, to turn it into something. And so when we obsess over things and think about things over and over and over again, it's the way the mind is trying to deal with all that frenetic energy. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. So I want you to see if you can be compassionate and make friends with the obsession because it really is just the way you've developed to deal with all this nervous energy kind of feeling. Mm -hmm. It's the way that your mind has dealt with it because it feels better on the body to obsess about something than it does to just sit and feel the physiological feeling of anxiety because the physiological feeling of anxiety is pretty shitty. Yeah. (laughs) But I mean, if you were given, if I said, okay, Megan, you have to choose for an hour, you're either going to obsess over a guy or your body, or you're going to sit here and feel physically anxious for an hour. Which would you choose? Probably obsessing over a guy or body. Why? I think it's just, well, it's just kind of what I've always done, what I'm Mm -hmm. used to. And I think with it, I can see me having some sort of control over it. Ding, 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 ding. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. So anxiety makes us feel really, really out of control. And so does an inconsistent parent. Like I really get you had a loving household that your mom was loving, but anytime there's inconsistency in a parent, no matter how wonderful they were in so many ways, it does create anxiety, which creates uncertainty. Inconsistent parent equals uncertainty. Feeling uncertainty as a child means I don't really like uncertainty as an adult because in uncertainty, I don't get my needs met. So I'm going to try to control as much as I can. Control is how we get certainty. And even though people don't think of OCD or obsession or, you know, thinking about things over and over and over again as a way to get certainty, it it is because our mind just fixates on something. So we don't have to sit in the uncomfortable feelings of the unknown. So this is all about control. And that was a huge thing for me when I really dealt with a lot of my body stuff, when I really learned how to surrender and trust. And also when I did so much work on my own sexuality and sensuality and pleasure and awakened that aspect of me, the body obsession just is just gone. It just left. And so, but I still have moments where when, when there's something that's uncertain, when I'm worried about something that I have no control over, I do find my mind obsessing because otherwise my body experiences anxiety. So it's the way that my mind tries to soothe my body. And so what I've learned to do 
is work with my mind in those moments by giving myself what I truly need, which is comfort, reassurance, compassion, often vulnerability, you know, sharing whatever I'm obsessing about with another person and also noticing, oh, that's just my mind. Like there's a part of you that has the obsessive thoughts, but then there's a part of you that can notice it as well. And one really good thing to do in those situations is to start making a list of everything you do have control over in your life. Like you have control over taking a breath. You have control over what food you put in your body, so on and so forth. And all the things you are certain of. Is this all making sense so far? Yes, definitely. What's coming up for you? I think just like, it's hard to picture myself changing the way I've acted. And I know it's possible with work and everything, but I think I've just like tried so hard to stop the obsessions that I get frustrated and I'm like, I, I'm just always going to be this way. So I think I just want to try and really like reprogram those thought patterns and know that like, if an obsession is coming up, I don't have to give it so much power. So what if you're always this way? I will feel kind of stressed and overwhelmed a lot. (laughs) Well, it depends on how you relate to it. Remember how we relate to any issue is the issue. If we can look at our patterns as alarm systems and really have compassion for ourselves, because again, this is the big piece that's missing for you and how you're relating to this. You want to change it so bad. It's, it's engulfed with judgment. You don't like this part of you. You think it means something's wrong with you and you think it's robbing you of your peace. And I understand it feels like that, not negating any of that. However, judging it and making it wrong and making you wrong for having it definitely won't help. It will just reinforce it. Yeah. It's kind of like Einstein says that we can't solve a problem at the level it was created. So this was created from fear and you're trying to move it from fear. What if I'm always like this? What if I can never get rid of this? You're just going to loop. So a big part of change is accepting this may be part of how I'm wired based on what I learned at a super young age. And I'm really open to it changing. And if it doesn't, I still love and accept myself. And then when you notice it, you're like, oh, okay, I'm obsessing. Ding, ding, ding. That's my alarm that I'm feeling out of control. And I need some soothing and I need some reassurance. How can I be consistent with myself? Because You don't want your inner parenting to model mom's parenting of like, sometimes you could go to her and she'd be a steady, loving, calm force. And sometimes you could feel her anxiety and the little girl in you is going to feel that, you know, from you. So if you notice the obsessive thoughts and then you get judgmental and then you get anxious, it's like in that moment, you're being inconsistent with yourself and that's just going to reinforce the pattern. So I know my advice sounds counterintuitive to what you want. You know, you're saying you want to change it and I'm saying love and accept it. But that is the first step to any transformation is acceptance, not resignation, but true acceptance. Yes. So just take a deep breath for a second, close your eyes. 
And I want you just to imagine that part of you, we'll just use the body example, that part of you, because not all of you, that part of you that obsesses about gaining weight. And when you look at that part of you, what do you notice about this part? It just feels very, a lot of just stress and Mm -hmm. um, feeling, I guess, unwelcome in in my own body. Mm -hmm. Um, And just kind of like upset at the fact that I'm not accepting it for what it is, but yeah. And if you ask this part, just ask from your heart, what's its highest purpose? Like, what is it really trying to do to help you? What is it protecting you from? I think it's protecting me fully. I guess in a way I feel like it keeps me from getting too vulnerable or too confident in a way with others. So it's trying to protect me from getting hurt in Mm -hmm. that way. Mm -hmm. So can you see it's actually really trying to do good? Yes. It's trying to protect you from getting hurt. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So see why it's hard to get it to go away. It actually has a pretty important job. Yeah, definitely. And so with these parts, we have to work to re-educate them and give them new job descriptions, not hate them and fire them and want them to go away. So if this part is really working to protect you, let me ask you this. On a scale of one to five, five being I rock it, one being I'm really not good at it. How are you at authentically and urgently, like when, when you need to, you don't delay speaking your needs and speaking up for yourself? Probably a two. Okay. And could you see how that could get you hurt? Yes, for sure. Yeah. So maybe this part that likes to obsess about your body and is really good about, about the guy or whatever could obsess instead about how authentically and urgently you're speaking your needs and setting your boundaries because this very thorough quote unquote obsessive part, we're going to start calling it a committed part. It has some good skills. It can really latch onto something and make sure you do it and think about it. But if it, you thought more about how to meet your needs and how to speak them. Right. Yeah. That would be a lot nicer to Mm -hmm. focus on that instead. And that's going to give you more of a sense of control because when we're speaking our truth and we're speaking our needs, this is another thing that helped me with my body image stuff is I felt like I was going to get hurt less because I was actually sticking up for myself and taking care of myself. I wasn't kind of just waiting to see if someone would hurt me or meet my needs. And I think even with guys, if we shift from body to guys, it's like, are you speaking up for yourself when you're not being met, when there's a communication breakdown, when they do something that upsets you, are you just kind of waiting around and obsessing or are you really speaking up for yourself and honoring your boundaries? Right. And I think that's 
that's been a hard thing for me too, is the boundary setting, because I think I just have a fear of get, like men or romantic interests leaving. And I kind of just set my boundaries aside because I want them to like, I want it to work out. Um, and so I can feel it going against my needs, but it's like, I kind of ignore that and just obsess over how to make it work. Okay. So we're going to keep the obsessive that we're calling committed and we're going to switch it from how to make it work to really speaking up for myself because the position you're putting yourself in is a very passive position and that's going to make you feel very out of control. It's going to trigger your little girl stuff and it's going to make you feel anxiety and then your OCD is going to take over. Do you see the cycle? Yes. So if you want to stop yourself from getting there, it's about speaking up. And if a guy goes, cause you speak your truth, adios amigo. <laughs> yes. Yeah. What's coming up for you now? Yeah. I just, it's very refreshing to think of it that way of more of it's, I can commit to respecting my own boundaries rather than obsess over pleasing a guy or getting the perfect body or something. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's, it's going to take definite practice to really stand firm in those boundaries. Cause I, yes. I definitely let them go easily. <laughs> yes. It's going to take mental practice, but this is, see, this is why the OCD is brilliant because it's going to pop up anytime you feel out of control. And you're going to feel out of control when you're not being consistent. You're not taking care of yourself. You're not speaking, you're speaking your needs. And it feels like someone else has the power or something else has the power. Then you're going to obsess over the guy. You're going to obsess about, I don't want to lose weight. You know, you're going to like grab onto something you can control because Megan, you're not empowered enough in other aspects of your life. So this is why we love the OCD type thinking. I'm not labeling you with obsessive compulsive disorder. I'm just using that as a way to describe a pattern. So don't think I'm diagnosing you or labeling you because I'm definitely not. But that, that alarm system is saying, Ooh, Megan, like, Hmm, things are feeling out of control because you're not empowered. Where have you given away your power? Take your power back. That's what the obsessive thinking is alerting you to. That's why it's yeah. protecting you. That's why it's not this bad thing that you need to get rid of. Yeah, that, that's a really good point. Yeah. So yeah. sure, it will take practice. And it's also the, I'm going to go back and repeat myself. It's the acceptance and working with it. I don't want you to go, I want to practice this so it changes. <laughs> I want you to go, I'm committing to practice this because this is what's up in my life right now. Yeah. And I want to be more empowered. The more empowered you feel, Megan, the less you will need to obsess. Right. How are some ways you would say to, to become more empowered? Speaking up for yourself, setting your boundaries. When something doesn't work for you, you say it. You don't yeah. tolerate shitty behavior. You don't, yeah. especially with dating, you don't tolerate not knowing where you stand with someone or ghosting mm -hmm. or flaking or non-committal or wishy-washy stuff. You just don't. Yeah. I think also that's when anxiety also comes up is like, is I, I just, 
not that it's confrontation, but having that sort of real conversation with someone, I think always just brings anxiety on. So maybe I just need to find some ways to calm that anxiety first. And then, well, you might have anxiety before you have a big conversation with someone. I do. Doesn't mean yeah. you shouldn't do it. I encourage you. Did you listen to the coach's corner I did with Jason Gaddis on conflict? No, I haven't Listen to that. That will help. Okay. And whenever, and you've probably heard me give this tip before, whenever we're scared about something, often we have to come up with a bigger fear to make us do it. So you could be scared about quote unquote confrontation. I call what most people call confrontation clarification because what I'm going in to quote unquote confront someone, really it's about clarity. That's what I'm after. So that helps me. I call it clarification conversations. And if, if you feel like, okay, I have all this anxiety about like, oh, this person could leave or they could get mad. I want you to come up with a bigger fear, such as I spend the rest of my life, never speaking my truth, never finding a great relationship, obsessing about things. Like that's a way bigger fear than a fear about one conversation, right? Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. So don't wait for the anxiety to go away. And then Jason and I talked about this in the interview. Then just name it. Say, I'm really nervous to have this conversation with you, but I care enough about myself and about this connection. And so I'm going to go for it. And my request is you just let me get this out. I might trip over my words, but just please be quiet for a few minutes and let me try to speak this. You don't have to pretend you're super calm, cool, and collected. You can name it. If I'm really nervous for a speech, when I get up on stage, I used to say, hey, everybody. Whew. Wow, I'm pretty nervous. I name it. Yeah, I like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that sounds better than just stuffing it down. Yeah. No more trying to repress. Your feelings are indicators. They're messengers. There's nothing yes. wrong with you. Yes. <laughs> I need to keep telling myself mm-hmm. that. And believe it. Yes. So thank you to Megan for your vulnerability, for your honesty, and for bringing up a topic that so many of us can relate to. So Megan first was asking about the obsessive thinking. She said that she obsesses about her body a lot and guys a lot, and all of us have our version of obsessive thinking. It's when the mind attaches to something and just cannot let it go. And it's a little torturous, (laughs) especially when we don't want to be obsessing about what we're obsessing about. And she thought, well, maybe this is a self-worth thing. And in so many ways, we all have self-worth things. It's a human epidemic thinking that we're not enough, that we're unworthy. And it's one of the things in our evolution and our growth and journey and consciousness that we remember more and more that there's nothing we have to do to be worthy. But this wasn't really about self-worth. As you heard from the coaching call, this was more about control and ways that she's had to learn to cope with anxiety, quite frankly. So she said she's always had anxiety. Mm, No. Most babies, unless they have a lot of womb trauma, aren't born with anxiety. No child is born with anxiety. It is learned. It is something that's passed down. And again, this is not her mom's fault at all. Her mom learned it too. 
but little kids are sponges. Steph and I were actually just listening to an interview with Bruce Lipton talking about childhood development. And he said from the womb, especially third trimester up until age seven, all our programming is put into place. Now we can change it. We've got to change the subconscious programming, but pretty much who we are is put into place by seven. He was quoting the Jesuits who say, show me a child at the age of seven and I'll show you the man or the woman. And it's, it's so true. I, you see in this show how so much comes back to childhood. So she was pretty much programmed by the age of seven and she learned, she learned anxiety. She learned anxiety from mom. Mom was anxious. Mom was inconsistent. Sometimes she could go to mom and mom would be a calming force. Sometimes she'd go to mom and mom would be anxious. And so that's really confusing for a child. And again, not blaming mom, just looking at understanding the pattern. Blaming a parent doesn't get us anywhere. Maybe it gets us out of, oh, this is who I am and I can't change it because we can go, oh, I learned this, but we have to then take responsibility. So it's up to Megan to change this pattern. So as you heard me explain to her, one of the best things the mind does to deal with anxiety is to obsess. It keeps the mind super busy so we don't feel the physiological discomfort in the body. Anxiety is a crappy feeling. It's a yucky feeling. We feel revved up. We feel jittery. We feel like we can't take a deep breath. And so what obsessing does is it gives the anxiety an outlet and it distracts us from the anxiety. So in a lot of ways, we can think of obsessive thinking as a coping strategy. And Anxiety usually happens because things feel uncertain. We feel like we don't have control. And if we look back to Megan's childhood, she had an inconsistent parent. Again, her mom was probably very loving in so many ways, but the inconsistency of the anxiety or not the anxiety led to a lot of uncertainty. And again, when there's uncertainty, we want control. And obsessing about, for instance, our body is a way that we try to gain control. So some tools that I gave Megan that I want to offer you are when you worry about something that's uncertain, I I said to her, you can make a list of all the things you know that are certain, or you can just think about it. You can just start naming the things you do have control over, the things that are certain. But the biggest thing, the biggest aspect is to look at what the highest purpose of the obsessive part is. Any of the things that we really want to change, we cannot judge and we cannot shame. We have to look at, okay, how are these things serving me? Because I promise you the things that are hardest for you to change about yourself are the very things that are protecting you. They have big, big jobs. So the more you hate them and the more you try to make them go away, the harder they'll cling on because they'll be like, wait, you need me. I play a very big role. So the role that this obsessive part plays for Megan is that it's protecting her from being too vulnerable and protecting her from being hurt. She learns that being vulnerable gets her hurt. And who knows where this came from? There could have been an instance when she was vulnerable with mom and mom wasn't able to be there, or she was vulnerable with friends and she got teased. We don't really have to know the origin. We just have to know, okay, this part thinks that it protects me from being hurt. If I obsess and I obsess and I obsess and I try to control, 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 then I won't get hurt. Because when I'm out of control, when things get out of control, when I feel out of control, when I don't have certainty, then I get hurt. So 
if this obsessive part is protecting her from getting hurt, then we've got to keep that job, right? That's a big job. No one wants to get hurt, but we need a better way to do it. Like get the job done in a different way, right? You can either hammer a nail into the wall with a hammer or a shoe. Which one's going to work better, right? You can try the shoe for years, but the hammer's going to work better. Different tool, getting the same job done. So the tool she really needs to get the job done of protecting herself is to be empowered. She's not speaking her needs. She's scared to speak her needs. And again, this probably comes from childhood. Since a parent probably wasn't great at meeting their own needs, had a lot of anxiety, she probably often felt like her needs weren't met. So she doesn't have a lot of practice in speaking her needs and getting her needs met. There isn't a lot of empowerment. So if she can use the obsessive thinking to be ding, 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 an alarm to go, mm-mm, you're not feeling empowered. You're not speaking your needs. You're not holding boundaries. You're tolerating shitty behavior. Then it's like, oh, okay, I need to speak up. I need to speak my needs. And I bet the obsessive part will quiet down because it's like, oh, I got her attention. She did what she needed to do. <laughs> I was at dinner last night with some friends and one woman was talking about her daughter who's 14. <laughs> I asked if she was interested in boys and how all that stuff was going. She's like, oh, she's great, but she has such good boundaries. I'm so proud of her. She was going to go to a dance with this one guy. And I asked her, so are you still going to a dance with so-and-so? I won't say his name. And she goes, no, mom, I blocked him. And mom goes, why? She goes, because he was being inconsistent. 14 years old, blocks a boy for being inconsistent. How about that? Those are some fierce boundaries put into place and good for her. Good for her. She wasn't tolerating shitty behavior. And that's, that's what we all need to do. Again, not to be jerks, not to be, you know, super hard on people, but when our needs aren't being met, when people aren't showing up, when we're not feeling empowered, rather than obsess about what we could do differently. I mean, how many of us do that? Someone's not treating us right. And we look at what we need to change, what we need to do differently, instead of speaking up and going, hey, this is not working for me. Remember, feelings are indicators. Patterns are indicators. Obsessive thinking, anxiety, they're little alarm bells or big alarm bells trying to get your attention. So Again, don't try to change them. Don't throw this terrible label on yourself that you're going to be like this forever. Even Megan said, it's hard to picture myself changing. Oh, it's important to picture ourselves changing if we want to change, right? We have to hold that positive vision. And even if she always has this obsessive thinking pattern, so what? It's an alarm. She can still have it, but she can relate and respond to it differently. Remember, we always have that choice. We can relate and respond to things differently. Something I'm still practicing every day, this human thing, there's few quick fixes. So be patient with yourself. All right, everybody, that's the show for today. Sending you so much love and many blessings. Until next time. Thank you for listening to Over at Non With It. I love hearing from you. So please post your comments or questions at christinehasler.com slash podcast. That's also the place you can sign up to receive coaching from me in an upcoming episode. And if you love this show, please share it and subscribe on iTunes. You can find all my social media handles and sign up to be part of my community at christinehasler.com. Until next week, here's to getting over it and on with it. Much love and many blessings. 